Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Welcome to episode 24. I am so full of love to have recorded this podcast with Faye from Soul Birth. Faye is a registered nurse and midwife who shares with us an hour of her own personal birth experiences and how these have shaped her into the deep, soulful, connected midwife and birth educator that she is now. Highly recommend this show for those of you who are pregnant and just about to birth and anyone that is interested in birth and birth workers alike. This is not only informative as Faye talks about cord clamping, endorphins and how to crack out a good birth plan, but I also love how deeply connected she was with these pregnancies and how her intuition and psychic ability plays out into her transformation as a woman and a mother. Enjoy and then come back and enjoy again. Hi, Faye. Welcome so much. And I feel very blessed and honoured that you could be a part of the show. And welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. And you're here to share some gorgeous birth stories and the important work that you're doing too. Uh, so welcome, Faye. Thanks, Ellie. <laughs> Thanks Hi. for having me on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a pleasure. I, I just trying to think of how we we found each other. But I know that I jumped upon you straight away and I think we've been talking for a while before we got the interview down pat so thanks for making the time now you're at you were a nurse and are you currently still a midwife yes yes I'm a registered nurse and midwife Midwife, still working um yep I'm still working in the hospital system but I've um my passion is out in the community and with women to find choices that support them beautiful so did you want to start off with uh, being the storyteller and telling us about your four birth journeys mm. and then we can talk about the work that you're doing and the contribution that you're making in the birth world that would be awesome sure <laughs> okay where to start <laughs> it's been quite a long journey for me um, because my kids are all grown up now they're all young adults um, so I guess I first of all started my journey as a midwife. Um, I'd been a registered nurse and then I did my midwifery training, which I'd always wanted to do. That's ever since I was a young child, I wanted to be a midwife um, because of what it entailed and the, the nature of the work. I couldn't think of anything better than bringing new life into the world. And so I actually trained to be a midwife 29 years ago, so that makes me feel very old. <laughs> the years have just slipped by, <laughs> as does the years of parenting, just vanish in a vacuum. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, when I during my training as a midwife, I trained in a high-risk hospital, so I saw all kinds of births, um, you know, that were all, I saw a mixture of natural births and um, high-risk, obviously. And so I drew from that my conclusions from watching different women birth that you know I wanted to be the one that was sitting there and meditating throughout my birth (laughs) just breathing the baby out nice and peacefully so it doesn't always happen that way when you come to birth your own babies because it's very different as I'll share with you as we go 
Um, but as soon as I finished my midwifery, I went and actually got, had the opportunity to live up in the highlands of Papua New Guinea for two years. And so that was really good experience. And I did voluntary work at the local hospital. And so I got to actually see birth in its very natural state. So it was completely the opposite of how I saw birth in the hospital. So it was really good because it gave me the opposite perspective of birth. And I realized that we don't need all that technology when birth is normal. So, so when you sorry? went over there, were you a still a student midwife? No, I'd finished my training. Yeah, and I was about six months finished yeah. my training. Could you just give um, us a little brief description of what, what it's like over there with birthing? Very basic. Yeah, because that was a long time ago. That was now 27 years ago. And um, very basic. The area that I went to had only seen white man there for, you know, about, I'm not sure, about 15 years. So, you know, it wasn't um, you know, very affluent or anything. It was up in the highlands. And so most of the people, the locals lived in their stone, uh, sorry, their grass huts still and wore ass grass, <laughs> as they call it, around. And so the hospital that I went and did voluntary work at, it was actually um, a solid building, but it had a concrete floor, which they hosed out every day. People bought their own bedding, just rolled up and carried it with them. And um, they used to have to carry their bedding out onto the lawn every day so they could hose out the wards. And the theatre was just an um, open-air theatre, had a concrete floor and they had louver windows, which they opened up, you know, good airflow, <laughs> none of this sterility that we have here. And anybody could go into theatre as long as they washed, the, uh, sorry, as long as they took their shoes off. <laughs> they only had a basic tap with soap and water, um, and but anybody could go in. So you had to take your shoes off to go into theatre. So often I'd be working in theatre and I'd have to have my shoes off and I had cuts all over me from bushwalking with all the kunai grass and you'd have blood splattering all over. So a lot of their problems came from poor hygiene, poor hand washing, so they had a lot of infections and babies would die there from simple things like um, infections to the umbilical cord because they didn't clean it properly or um, and so they'd get septicemia and die. If there was a premature birth, they just died because there were no facilities to keep them alive. Um, and we'd get a lot of retained placentas from women that would birth in the village and then have to walk you know, for days to get to the hospital. And they didn't go to theatre, they just had a shot of pethidine and, you know, <laughs> did a manual removal on the ward, which is <laughs> very different to here, so high infection rate. Anyway, they, it was very, very different. But I got to see women birthing in a natural state. Most of them would birth out on the lawn or would stay in the village and birth. And they got on with life as well. The one thing that really struck me there was that, um, you know, uh, my husband at the time was working in... Um, uh, he was working with the Australian Army up there. So, and his secretary was pregnant, but we never knew because they're quite large women, and they wear um, Mary blouses which cover everything. Anyway, one day she just disappeared at lunchtime, and nobody knew where she went. And then she came back two hours later, um, breastfeeding a baby. She just walked up wow. to the hospital, had a baby, and came back to work. <laughs> so, wow. Were you just all gobsmacked? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like we take, you know, we take time off, and we do so much preparation for birth. <laughs> and when you look at the way they do it there, it's just so natural. And they they all just village raises the child, which is how I believe parenting should be. And we've gone away from that in Western society, which I think is the cause of a lot of our problems with parenting and a lot of postnatal depression because we're so isolated from other women. So up there, they all help each other raise the children and they all breastfeed each other's children. They walk around topless just feeding their baby. It's just, you know, babies are just tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's survival of the fittest. But then I also saw the downside in that, you know, babies die for no reason. 
because we have better hygiene um, practices here and, you know, babies that are premature, we have the facilities to keep them alive here. And it's their, you know, life is, um, it's the survival of the fittest. I think that was a great lesson for me was to see the very opposite. So it brought me back to Australia with a real balanced point of view of birth. So it's great to do, you know, aim for natural birth as much as possible. Um, and But it's great to have technology when we need it but don't use it when we don't because we interfere with the birth process. Mm, beautiful position too for the midwifery and your birth. Absolutely. Yes, because I actually fell pregnant with my first child while I was living up there. But because of the conditions there, I didn't want to stay there to give birth because there, you know, just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't really my idea for um, an experience for my first birth, not knowing how it would go. Um, and there yeah, weren't very good facilities there. So I actually flew back to Perth to have my first baby because that's where my family were. And I actually had a hospital birth for him. He was my first, my only hospital birth out of the four. But I went back to the hospital that I trained at just because I knew the staff and I ended up with a midwife friend being my birth attendant and had a very beautiful birth. Um, but it was very different to what I imagined because I thought I would be sitting there just meditating and om um, <laughs> through my labour. <laughs> very different when it's you that's having the contractions. So I actually, it was a really great experience to actually embody the birth experience from a midwifery perspective as well. So I really got to understand what happens in the body when you're in labour. When you have those sensations, those waves rushing through your body and you know how it feels. So it actually taught me to, you know, really come into my body and be with it. And it was a 16-hour labour, um, which is, you know, probably quite normal for a first-time baby. Um, I just, you know, thought that because I knew how to do it that it would <laughs> be different. So, you know, things like that um, really make you aware that everybody's journey is different. But I still, you know, I had an amazing birth experience and... Um, you know, because everything I've witnessed and everything that I knew by then, I knew I didn't want to be laying on my back because that's the absolute worst position to be in to give birth. <laughs> Very painful and your pelvis can't open up and you don't have gravity helping. All those things, the, the manual side of it, I knew I didn't want all those. I wanted to have a nice natural birth and especially after seeing how easy it could be done in the islands of New Guinea. So, <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> so. just going for your lunch break and... I know. Well, I didn't do that. No. I wasn't that good. <laughs> that was like that for my third. I can tell you though that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one was very quick. How but, did you um, feel as a midwife um, serving your next woman on your next birth um, as a midwife? If you know what I mean. Did you? Did your first birth shape you or change you as a midwife? Absolutely. Like I said, with when you actually get to embody birth, when you've actually physically been through it yourself, you have so much of a clearer understanding of where a woman is at in labour because you just have to close your eyes and you're there again. When you're hearing the way she sounds in labour, you go right back into that, you know exactly where she's at. Especially after having four, now I can just sit in the room and I can just know exactly what's going on in her body. I don't have to touch her, I don't have to be physical in any way I don't even have to look at her half the time I can just sit there with my eyes closed and actually know exactly what her body and her baby are doing so it makes a huge difference to me I think you know my practice as a midwife really changed after I gave birth myself because I could um, be much more intuitive even though women are intuitive anyway when you actually go through the birth journey you're 
intuitive qualities are heightened and it um, allows you to be very much in tune with, um, you know, other women that are birthing, which I think is really important. Yeah, well, I see my role as a midwife more of one of holding space for the woman to birth in and just, you know, being there to support her energetically more than physically because when a woman is given the space um, to find, you know, where she's at, she intuitively knows how to birth her own baby. It's just in this Western society, in this modern world, most women have been disconnected from that and they forget. They lose that connection with self and forget that they know how to birth already. And because most women these days, their only um, ideas that they have formed of birth are what they've seen on TV. And TV has a lot to answer for. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> It is. It always portrays birth as a very traumatic event because drama sells. So women are usually always on their back on their bed with their legs in stirrups and they're screaming and it's seen as a really traumatic experience. So most women that you speak to are terrified of the, you know, birth. And because I used to do school talks as well through a um, birthplace support group that I used to um, be very involved with here in Perth and we used to go and do talks to high school students about childbirth choices and you'd ask all the kids in the class, boys and girls, you know, what were their um, ideas of birth? And they'd all be going, oh, my gosh, I'm so terrified. I never want to go there. It's so painful. And you're like, really? Why do you get that idea? It's because what they've seen on TV and all the horror stories that people like to share with them. People don't, um, you know, when people have a really beautiful experience, they tend to be so happy and contented that they don't talk about it, whereas people who have a traumatic experience need to debrief. And they're not given that opportunity in the system to debrief. So they tend to share it with everybody they meet. Yeah, I feel the exact same. I feel the people that are doing the horror stories, it's not like they're doing it to hurt other people. It's they need mm. to find acknowledgement they for do. their story and heal it. There was a uh, girl at my son's school that came up and talked to my little daughter um, and she started talking about birth. I, s I think we were saying, did you want to have babies one day? She said, no, it hurts, doesn't it? And I thought this was like my perfect cue. And I started just ranting on how beautiful birth is and like mm -hmm. how empowering. And she just looked at me and said, I'm going to go to the toilet now. <laughs> she <laughs> ran off and she was out of there. But I thought, well, maybe hopefully some of that sunk into her at some point. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love, I think school talks are really important. And we tried for years to get it, you know, as part of the curriculum to go and talk to you, um, you know, 10 students because originally the talks were aimed at the year 11 and 12 um, students that were doing early childhood studies and it was really um, successful with that group but we realised we were missing most of the kids because there's only a select few that do that course but when we started doing it for year 10 students and aimed at boys and girls as part of the health um, you know, curriculum, it was really powerful and I just particularly loved having boys in the class too because they actually asked the most intelligent questions. You know, after they got over their initial um, carry-on, you know, being smarty pants about it, um, they actually settled down and asked lots of really um, good questions and at the end they were really mesmerised and really on board with it. And I found that um, I actually had to <laughs> um, change what I was saying to a certain extent because by the end of my talk I usually found that the kids were all so excited about birth that they actually wanted to hurry up and have one. <laughs> so, um, well, hang on a minute. Yes. <laughs> it's, a bit far. it's really empowering and everything, but you want to wait to the right time, you know, when you find your partner and you settle down and you want to have kids, but don't race out and have babies now. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, that's such a wonderful thing to give because you're exactly right. There's so many youth that are just fearful of the, even the thought of birth and from mm. the media, from their community. And it's, you know, it's, it is time for us to step in and tell them how beautiful this experience can be. Um, yeah, because yeah. they don't realise that there's another way and that they do have choice because right from an early age, they're sort of channeled into the medical system, um, which is good if they're high risk, but if they're having a natural pregnancy and natural birth there's no need to be channeled into the the private stream or you know into the hospital system even like there are other choices and midwifery care is actually um, the best care for normal pregnancy and birth for better outcomes because midwives really follow that continuity of care they follow women right through and form a rapport with them which then that woman comes to know and trust them and then they are very much in tune with them as well so the midwives spend that time with them and they give them all the antenatal care and look after them during labor and birth and then postnatally as well so you generally find that women have continuity of care model of care usually have a lower rate of postnatal depression because they feel so much more supported and they usually have better birth experiences too because they feel supported and heard all the way through. And they generally have a space being held for them a lot better than like if they just put through the system and, they're sh you know, they have different caregivers all the way through. So, you know, if you go through the hospital system, which I'm not saying is a bad thing because everybody's different and everybody resonates with a different um, care model, but um, in the hospital, you can have, if you have a long labour, you can have like 10 different caregivers throughout your labour journey. So that's not continuity at all, <laughs> you know. So um, quite often they end up with, you know, a different kind of birth experience to when they, what they originally planned to have. There's all different types of births that women end up having and each and every one of them is perfect at the time. Even when it appears traumatic on the out, outer realm, when you go into it afterwards and debrief it, break it down and then when we go into healing it, which is another thing I'll talk about later is the work I do now is helping them to tune into the baby and to their higher self and find out why a journey went a certain way and then you can understand it and everything is perfect as it is everything has a reason why it unfolds the way it does it's not always our choice it also the baby has a choice and it's usually the baby that actually controls the whole <laughs> birth experience which i'm sure people will go what <laughs> so let's go into your second birth i'd love to mm -hmm. hear more about that experience mm -hmm. um, so this two and a bit years later you become pregnant again yep yep i did and by then i was, I was living back in australia in Melbourne and so I was very lucky to just you know things happen you're guided you know we're <laughs> guided to be in the right place because the baby chooses and so this little soul that chose me to be her mum she um, guided me to where I needed to be and I found you know a freestanding birth centre which unfortunately no longer exists because it was to me that was the ideal setup for birth because it was an independent um, birth centre run by an obstetrician and his wife who was a midwife and they had um, you know it was run by independent midwives so you chose your own midwife and then the idea was you had all your antenatal care at home and then you birthed at the birth centre and could have the option of a water birth which I had and then you had all the follow-up postnatal care through there and then they had um, all different practitioners that worked through there and left their cards there so you could see them so the greatest journey of mine began when I went there and I've discovered a lady there that does what I do now um, and she told me that I would be which is really amazing so this was 20 
23, 24 years ago when I was pregnant and I found this lady and she took me on this journey through, um, it was a guided visualization where I actually got to meet the soul of my baby and, um, and it was just the most incredible thing because I've always been very psychic. I see things and hear things that other people don't through my whole life and so I found it very easy when I did this guided visualization. I saw her immediately and it was like a reunion because I knew her from a past life. We were connected and have been sisters in a past life and all this stuff that had happened. So I got to meet her and re get reunited with her. And they, so she started telling me why she'd chosen me this time. And um, it was just really incredible. It was very emotional. And also at that time, I then met my spirit guides as well, who had been waiting there to meet me and, you know, so I could see them. And it was like, it was the beginning of my whole new journey, which has led me to where I am now, um, because I then knew that there was a whole other realm there that I hadn't really tapped into, even though I used to see it and hear it. I used to be scared of it, um, because you're scared of what you don't know or understand. But so this all started unfolding for me on my, during my pregnancy journey with her. So my intuition was like, or magnified like a hundred times throughout that pregnancy. So she would keep telling me all these things that needed to happen before she was born and had to do all this healing around our past life that we'd had together, which is quite traumatic. Um, so I cleared that out before the birth so that I didn't have that holding me back in the birth process. And so I had an amazing birth when I went into labour. I um, went to the birth centre and it was the most incredible day. It was stormy. There was thunder and lightning. It was so powerful. So every time I had a contraction, there was a, you know, there was a clap of thunder and it just felt like the gods were up there supporting me. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, it was an eight-hour labour for that one. And, um, but it was just the right length of time. I got to um, move around a lot and be very active. And then when I was ready, I got into the, the water and got to experience that amazing euphoric effect of being submerged in warm water when you're in labor and that effect of just that, ah, and that letting go. Mm, and it was just amazing. And then when she emerged into the world, it was just beautiful. She was born in the, in the call, which is, you know, a sign of good luck. Sailors always believe that it's good luck to have a baby born in the call, which is, you know, when the membranes are still intact over the head. And so, yeah, she came out still wrapped up in her membranes underwater. And it was just pretty amazing. So then we sort of, um, you know, peeled them back and she was sort of, then she came out into the water fully and she, we just left her underwater for a few minutes and she was just looking up at us through the water really silently and, oh, it was the most incredible moment to actually connect with her eyes when she's underwater still, just looking up at me and it was so peaceful and calm. It was just the most magic moment. And then when we were ready, we just kind of raised her up to the, the um, air and then she just took a very gentle breath and it was just very nice, beautiful experience, very spiritual as well because I felt her spirit around me the whole, pro you know, during the whole of labour. I felt her in the room and it was like she was there as my midwife. She was guiding me through the birth to birth her, <laughs> very different. Um, so I felt like I was just so wrapped up in love and um, support with that birth and I felt my guides were there as well. And every time, and we had this beautiful glass window looking out into a garden, and so it was bucketing down with rain and the thunder and the lightning. And I just, I felt like I was a god <laughs> or goddess giving birth. Felt so powerful. And so it's been great because any time in life where I feel like I'm not coping or not, you know, not strong enough, I just remember back to that birth, and I just think, you know what? 
I did that. I felt so powerful in that moment that I can draw on that energy anytime I want in my life and I feel so powerful again. So it's always good, you know, when women have that birth experience and they know that they can do it and it's something you can draw on for the rest of your life. So transformative for you, just having yeah. that connection with her prior and then her guidance. Um, yeah. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just all, I've like melted on the floor at the moment. I just uh, yeah. that was so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, it was an amazing experience. Like I couldn't... Um, you know, imagine that beforehand. I'm just so thankful as a mother and a midwife to have that experience because from that moment that she was born, I made a vow to always try to empower women to be able to have that kind of birth experience as well. And so that's been my um, driving force as a midwife from then on. And also I always wanted, I had the vision to create a centre like that, you know, over here in Perth at some point. Still hasn't happened, but the vision's still there because I think everything happens in divine right timing. And the politics around birth hasn't supported it at this point. Um, so I think it's coming because there are a lot more um, midwifery group practices starting up now as a result of, you know, uh, a lot of the politics around birth. So it's really heartwarming to see more midwives stepping out and starting up their own practice. But because of the state of things at the moment, you still can't legally have a home birth, you know, well, not supported by a midwife unless it's completely low risk. Um, there's a lot to it. Yeah. It's not time yet, but I can see in the future that we'll be able to have these centres popping up everywhere. They're already starting. There's yeah. a few around and it's really great to see because I think that is a really good option for women. Yeah. Once again, not everybody wants it. It's probably only 1% of the population that wants it. But, you know, women, if women have choice, they should be able to choose the type of care that they receive. And I think that that option should be available for them because just from my own experience, it was the most amazing, empowering experience and I wouldn't have wanted it to be any other way. So I just want women to have choice. Yeah. And did you, how did the postpartum go? Did you go home quite quickly after the birth? Yeah, so I went home six hours after the birth. And that was amazing too, the drive home. By then the thunder and lightning had finished, but I looked up in the sky and there was this cloud formation that looked exactly like a placenta with a cord hanging down. Ooh. And that was just mind-blowing and I just couldn't believe it. I thought, that's a sign from the heavens. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> delivered safe and sound. And the other thing too that, um, you know, with all my births, I've always made sure that I didn't cut the cord before it stopped pulsating and I even like waited till the placenta was completely delivered as well you know had come out before I ever cut the cord because I believe that the baby needs to get all their own blood and stem cells you know that they we shouldn't be depriving the babies of their own blood because when we do the um in the hospital system you know if there is actually a, a real reason for cutting it, like if the mother is hemorrhaging, then, you know, that's when you can clamp and cut the cord. But, you know, you're not going to hem. generally you're not going to have a hemorrhage until the placenta starts to come away from the uterus anyway. And that's not going to happen unless you have a, a, an abruption. Um, you know, it's not going to happen until the baby actually gets its own circulation going. Because when you look at the anatomy and physiology of birth, a baby takes its first breath and it's not until the baby has transitioned completely into extrauterine life that the cord stops pulsating because that's at the point where they've actually set up their own circulatory system, you know, so that they're getting their blood pumping through their heart and then they no longer need the blood from the mother. So that's when the cord stops pulsating and they no longer need that blood. 
and in that time. Wish to see the policies change where that's just the norm. Oh, uh, absolutely. I suppose as a midwife, um, unless they put it in their plan, do you just have to cut it straight away? How does that? No, no, I always educate women about this because yeah. to me that's a really important part of birth. You know, I don't like disrupting birth in any way, shape or form unless there's a really true medical reason for it. Um, and so this is one real basic thing. And because I don't believe there's ever any need to cut the cord early because it, the placenta and the cord are the baby's own resuscitation apparatus that are attached to it. So why would you disconnect the baby from it? Because every time I've witnessed a baby that's struggling, it's because the blood's not flowing properly through the cord. And you know, a couple of times I've actually milked the cord and the baby's pinked up and breathed straight away. And normally, you know, if you went by hospital procedures, you would have to clamp and cut the cord and then take the baby over to a resus cot and do a full-on resuscitation. But you know, we've avoided that when I've milked the cord because the baby pinked up straight away and the blood flow started, you know, flowing to the baby fully and then it's continued until the baby's completely okay and pink, you know, and it's been a much quicker, more effective way of resuscitating a baby than disconnecting it from its own resuscitation equipment. Mm. <laughs> so and there's I, a lot of resuscitation that you could actually do on the mother. That's uh, right. I don't see yeah. why you should be separating them. And I know in the States now they're bringing out resus, um, little cot attachments to the bed so that the baby can be resuscitated on the bedside with the mother. They don't have to be separated because, you know, I think you're actually compromising a baby more when you clamp and cut the cord um, and, you know, take the baby away because you're actually um, taking away those valuable stem cells and all the, the blood, the baby gets an extra lot of blood, you know, into its system, which you're depriving it of if you cut it first. And the reason they clamp and cut is because they give the oxytocin injection in the leg, to, you know, straight after the birth to help... Um, you know get the placenta out so what happens when you give that injection is the uterus contracts and expels the placenta usually within three to five minutes so but there's no need to do that the reason that it's all happens as a routine is because it's just a time thing they're trying to hurry everything up all the time and they say you know it's to prevent postpartum depression oh, not depression sorry postpartum hemorrhage <laughs> um but you know you like i said you're not going to hemorrhage if you um, allow things to go naturally and also if you're not tugging on the placenta to get it out you're less likely to t you know leave bits in there and hemorrhage because when you do controlled cord traction, you know, when you give the oxytocin injection, you have to actually do um, controlled cord traction to make sure the placenta comes out. Um, and then when you do that, you're more likely to get bits of um, the membrane tear off and stay in there. And you're more likely to have a bleed. So you're best off just leaving it all to happen in its own time because nature does it perfectly yeah, exactly like the body hasn't evolved no reason and it, it's, it's just the way you've described it then it just sounds you know especially with hormone regulation after birth mm. and the whole process um, once you start messing with one part then um, you know the rest is going to take effect and then it affects you know milk production like you said and I've actually heard um, that Babies tend to get onto solid food or wanting solid food earlier with the delayed, without delayed cord clamping because their iron stores get used up quicker. Mm, yeah, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and with um, babies that are fully breastfed as well, you know, if they're 
put straight to the breast, you know, within that first hour or two of birth, which is the optimal, so that they can bond and when they're at their most wakeful stage, because straight after birth for the first two hours, they're very awake and um, aware, and that's usually when they seek out the breast. And so if they can attach to the breast and initiate breastfeeding, they're going to have a much higher success rate of breastfeeding long term, you know, when you get them on early and then they get all those goodies in the colostrum as well. So, and the other bonus that it has is if you can put the baby to the breast quite soon, which most of them are ready within like 10, you know, 10 minutes to an hour after the birth. Um, but if you're having problems with placental separation, you just get the baby on the breast and the suckling at the breast actually releases all the same hormones, the oxytocin, to actually contract the uterus and expel the placenta. So, you know, that's a much more natural way of helping the placenta to be released. So you're less likely to have tears once again. And the oxytocin at the same time that's being released is going to be contracting the uterus, which is preventing bleeding because it's helping the uterus to contract down and block off all those open blood vessels. So it all works. I mean, nature has it all right in the first place. So I don't know why we insist on meddling with nature and thinking that we know better because <laughs> from my observation repeatedly is that when we let nature take its course and let mum and baby and father bond, you know, and do that whole cycle, that you see far less complications when you just allow them to be. And once again, it's the art of holding space, not interfering. Exactly right. So... Uh, mother of two, a very transformed mother of two, mm. and next two births were home births, you decided. Mm. So mm-hmm. how did that journey go? And maybe uh, tell us too, did you practice midwifery in between those births? Yeah, yes, I did. I um, was still working, you know, doing a lot of agency work, going to all different hospitals around um Melbourne in between, you know, having babies. <laughs> and also I worked for a little bit at the birth centre that I gave birth at, which was really beautiful because um, that to me was my ideal environment to birth at. Um, and then and the other interesting thing was that um, because of now I had this spiritual connection happening with, you know, the soul of my baby, the other thing was that um, this other little soul appeared to me right after I had my baby. Like I was still at the birth centre, just given birth, and this other little soul appeared to me and started telling me that he was going to come in through me. And I'm like, uh, hello, no, I've just had a baby. It's like, what are you talking about? You go, no, no, I'm coming in next. And I'm like, at the time, we'd only planned on two kids. And so I said, well, no, you're not. We're only having two. And he says, no, 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 no. We made a soul agreement apparently before I was even born that he was going to come in as my third child. And so, (laughs) like, okay, whatever. (laughs) And then um, over the next um, year or two, he kept on appearing and telling me all this stuff about why he was coming in and, you know, why he'd chosen me and all this stuff. And, you know, we'd also had a past life together that we needed, you know, to come together in this lifetime and here's my child. And um, so that was really interesting. And anyway, so... uh, little while later about 18 oh no it was only 12 months later or something I felt pregnant and um and because I was a bit devastated first I feel really bad about this but I was really devastated at first because you know we'd had this whole only going to have two kids and so it took me 12 weeks to get used to the idea of you know having another baby and so yeah and then I had a bit of a journey I had a cancer scare in that time as well so and I was sort of told that I might have to abort the pregnancy if I you know had to have chemo and all that stuff and anyway luckily it turned out that I didn't need chemo it was all okay hadn't spread anywhere and so um 
And then anyway, at 16 weeks, after I finally embraced this pregnancy and was like, yes, great, fantastic, I'm so glad you chose me. And then at 16 weeks, I lost the pregnancy, I had a miscarriage. And that was pretty devastating for me because 16 weeks, you think you're over the hump, (laughs) you think you're safe. And I was totally embracing this pregnancy now. And anyway, so I tuned in and said, well, what's going on? Why, what's what's happening? Because I was devastated. And he said, apparently the body hadn't turned out right. So I'm like, really? So I don't know. I never got to see what the body looked like, whether it was normal, abnormal, male, female. I don't know. I just had to trust that what he said was right and that um, the body hadn't turned out right for what he wanted in this lifetime. So he decided to let it go. And um, I've often thought since then because I'm very much into imprinting and you know the imprints that we put into um, the fetus as it's developing and um, you know whether all those early negative thoughts that I had might have impacted and um, had a bearing and then also the the whole thing about the cancer scare whether or not that had had some imprint in there so I just trusted that you know whatever he was saying was right so he let go of the body and anyway I fell pregnant again within a month so and this time he said that you know he would stay for the journey you know if it turned out right which it did because he went full term and I had this beautiful amazing um, birth of a a gorgeous boy at home (laughs) Um, and it was an amazing experience. It was very quick. Well, it was four hours. It was very quick compared to my other two. They each kind of halved themselves. And um, I had a water birth at home for him. I only got the tub half full because he came so quick. I couldn't get enough water in the tub, you know, <laughs> in the time. But it was still enough to have a water birth. Um, and it was funny because um, I had to call my dad back from the golf course that day because another story I've got to tell you in a minute is that my parents have been at all my births as well, both my dad and my mum, which I'll tell you about because it's quite unusual. Um, but I had to call everybody back and um, my midwife had to go across town to pick up her you know, delivery pack and everything. And anyway, so I called everybody as soon as it started and then, then all of a sudden it stopped. And I was thinking, oh, no, <laughs> false alarm, I've called everybody and, and I'm not even in labour now. And it was really interesting because about two hours later, everybody rocked up and as soon as everybody walked in the door, my labour started again and it was just full on. And um, and within an hour, I'd had him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it was very, very intense for an hour. And I could just feel him just like boring through, just like coming down so fast. And I only just managed to climb into the tub before his head came out. <laughs> wow. So I got my water birth, but it was only just. <laughs> and... Um, and that was a really great birth too and because, you know, my midwife just stood back and held space for me and my, my mum and dad and the other two kids were there. They were all just, you know, in there around me. You know, the room was filled with love and I just felt really, you know, at peace with it and it was just amazing and I got to actually birth him myself completely and that was pretty empowering as well as a midwife to know that, you know, women can actually catch their own baby as well. So ever since then I've tried to practice that where I allow the... You know, I just stand back and say, you know, you, you know, you can do it if you want. No, <laughs> if the woman doesn't want to, the you know, the husband, I say, Look, would you like to, you know, have some input here? Because one thing I've got from that too is that I really believe in the imprinting process, and I really believe that whoever touches that baby first should be somebody who really loves that child, somebody who really means something to that child. So I always, always ask the, the woman giving birth to reach her hand down and touch the head as it's coming out just so that, you know, the baby feels her love first. And if she doesn't want to, because some women don't want to touch the head, um, then I ask the husband if he would like to, husband or partner, you know, um, if they would like to 
catch their baby <laughs> and most partners love it and they it's something that they remember always and it really empowers them as well you and it gives be them so amazing for first time couples to no. uh, i would just be like honored if you walked into the door <laughs> as my no. in the hospital that they would just be so fortunate to have that you know in there that's that holding space and those those little things that they will never forget Oh, well, I hope I have some impact on people because a lot of them, you know, they have no idea that they can even do this. So they don't know that they actually have complete control of their own birth. Well, when their baby isn't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the baby has more control. But, you know, that they do have the option to get into whatever position they want to be in and, you know, find their own space and you know do what they want to do. Because I really encourage women to listen to their intuition because like that's so overlooked these days that women are always having their power taken away from them because the caregivers, you know, is seen as the God kind of thing. They know better. So women hand over their power a lot of the time to the health providers to say, you know, what needs doing. But I'm very much about saying, well, listen, this is your body and your birth. You know, you actually know what's best for you. You know what's going on inside there. So tune into it. So I, I love the practice of hypnobirthing as well. I've been a big advocate of that and I did my hypnobirth training years ago and I just, I don't run classes in it myself now because I have so much else on my plate but I have a lot of friends that run hypnobirthing classes and I'm always recommending them for parents, you know, couples to go to when they're pregnant because the earlier they start them in the pregnancy, the um, better impact it will have. So in when they go into labour, then they naturally just drop into that place of it's a deep sense of relaxation and it's just that real connection with the inner self and you know blocking out all the external influences because I think that's the biggest key to it is actually to find that space within to birth your own baby and to not have all those distractions on the outside you know it really annoys me when people come barging into a birthing space and start talking loudly or asking the woman if she wants pain relief it's like hello if she wanted it she would ask for it mm. <laughs> and and she has all these reserves in her own body anyway. She has endorphins. I mean, we all have endorphins in our body. It's a hormone. It's a natural painkiller. It's, it's like morphine that we can access at any time we want. And, you know, it's a simple stroke down the neck. You know, when you do those little exercises in school where you do that, you know, you used to chop on one shoulder, chop on the other, then grab does the neck blood, and then... Does this make yeah, your blood run cold and you go... Yeah, it makes you shiver yeah. down the yeah. spine. You know what you're doing? You're actually releasing lots of endorphins. So if you get the partners to do that, like run down the spine like that really lightly, it releases all those endorphins and it helps give you a big kick in, you know, painkillers, yeah. <laughs> natural painkillers. Yeah. You don't need morphine because the problem is with these narcotics that women are getting in labour, you know, morphine, pethidine, they actually do affect the baby because they cross the placental barrier and actually have an effect on the baby. And if it's given too close to birth, then it actually depresses their respiratory system so then they're more likely to need resuscitation. You have to have a paediatrician at the birth just in case the baby's born flat and needs resuscitation. So what is it? From my experience from my first birth, I remember that feeling of the midwife coming to me and saying, we've got this, we've got this. And in my like f sort of foremind, the sort of practical thinking, yeah, that would be fine. But deep down I was screaming, no, just tell me I'm doing a good job. Like I could, mm -hmm. you know, deep down I didn't, want this I just want to be told that I can do this and mm -hmm. be supported but that that fight and flight kicks in and then you mm -hmm. start thinking and you shouldn't be thinking and then mm -hmm. because you're thinking about what drugs you can take 
Absolutely. And you know what point that happens, don't you? That's around that transition, transition phase. Yeah. And yeah. I think that happened with me. I got pethidine and I think I got it. He was probably born a few hours later mm. and he came out and he was fine. And then he just went white, like completely dropped his whole colour. And then mm. I remember the midwife going, oh, that's just the pethidine. I was like, what? Yeah, it's just the pethidine. Well, <laughs> just. <laughs> I know. And that's commonly when women want um, something too because it's their hormones kicking in like you say with the fright and flight you know response and around around that transition phase and you can tell even the women that breathe really quietly through labor the ones that you know a lot of the women that I've you know had the pleasure of being at their births when they're birthing in a beautiful sacred space uninterrupted they quite often don't make the sounds and whatever that other women might do in a medicalized space they're the only sign you'll that you know is different is their breathing changes and their pupils dilate and you know that they're in transition so you just um, allow them to be in that and actually help them just to breathe through it and just surrender because that's the most that's the best thing you can do at that stage is just surrender and go with it I just love um, one of my dear friends Deborah Pascali Bonaro she's a beautiful person and she's got the um, DVD orgasmic birth in the book, you know, and I just love her work because she's spreading, you know, empowerment to women through, you know, take, saying that birth is supposed to be pleasurable and joyful and, you know, it's all about the hormones, the love hormones. Those love hormones that got your baby in there in the first place are the same hormones that get your baby out. So why not bring in all those things that you use to get the baby in there, deep, passionate kissing, <laughs> you know, love one another up because... That's how you release all those birthing hormones. Everybody's choice, once again, is different. And some women feel a lot more um, secure or safe in a hospital environment, which is great. And I'm not against hospital births at all. I mean, I work in the hospital. <laughs> but um, there are so many things that you can do in a hospital environment to create a sacred space. You don't have to keep the room the way it is. You know, the hospital rooms are generally quite brightly lit because they've got all the spotlights and they've got the bed in the middle of the room and all the equipment around. But they are making a lot of changes now and acknowledging that, you know, it's good to get the equipment out of your view because it detracts from the birth experience. So they're in cupboards and behind curtains and things. But, but you can also dim the lights because, you know, birthing rooms always have dimmer switches on the lights. So you can always dim the lights, which makes it a much more, you know, private kind of feel. And um, you can also push the bed aside and put the mattress on the floor. I know a lot of doctors hate <laughs> mattresses on the floor, but really women are less likely to be on their back if they're on the floor, you know, birthing. And, you know, as a birth worker, you can get down on your knees. It's no problem. I've birthed hundreds of babies down on the floor or in the bathroom. And, you know, it's only because they're not used to it. You know, it's educating the um, birth workers really to you know it's about the woman what she wants it's not about us as a birth worker you know we're there to support their wishes and support whatever they need to have done but you can also bring things in from home to make the room more homely and you can put your birth plan you I always tell women to just write a nice short succinct birth plan that's just got main things like you know delayed cord clamping and <clears throat> you know no drugs or whatever whatever is really important to them and put it just on a, a poster on the wall and decorate it with all these beautiful pictures that can be a focal point during labour that they can, you know, focus on and um, keep them connected with their why, you know, why they're birthing this baby into the world and, you know, what they want to gain from this, what their beautiful, healthy baby and, you know, whatever it is, if there's a mandala that they want to focus on or, you know, you have some beautiful smelling flowers in the room, you know, there's so much that you can do. And the other big thing is I always say to put a sign on the door because um, 
women that do hypnobirthing always have a hypnobirthing sign on the door and um, the doctors always go to go charging in the room and they'll look at that and they'll go, oh, <laughs> and what I've noticed. And then they'll come around to the back desk or something and they'll go, what's that lady in room such and such? What's that hypnobirthing? <laughs> and so there's an opportunity to actually educate them about what hypnobirthing is, but it also makes them more mindful before they go barging into a room. And I think mindfulness is a big one. It's just making people mindful as they enter that room that they are entering sacred space. This is about the woman. And leave all your other stuff behind. Don't come in there, um, you know, talking loudly and putting your views on the woman. This is her space that you're entering. Speak quietly and be respectful. And so even if you're not hypnobirthing, I usually say write up some kind of a sign to put on the door, whether it's, you know, you are now entering sacred birthing space, please keep the noise down. And every time people do that, there's so much more respect and honour around the birth when those, when anybody walks into the room because they don't know what to expect. They come in going, what's going on in here? <laughs> mm, that's I love really it. a good point. And especially good for whoever's walking into the room just to take a yeah. deep breath and read the sign, which gives Absolutely. them the pause and then they can walk in and mm -hmm. um, be a bit more mindful, like you said. Yeah, it totally changes the energy of the birthing space. You yeah. know, just that one thing, even if that's the only thing you do, put a sign on the door and it just creates that mindfulness as people step through into your space. Yeah, well said. Um, thanks for these tips. I think it's one of the really good ones. I've seen a lot of birth plans um, that are pages and pages and I probably say as a midwife you just want a one pager with the mm -hmm. important things. Um, yeah. You know, there's a there's a good point, you know, the um, birth plans, like I always used to do multiple page birth plans but I find that that's a really good tool for couples to work through before together. the birth as together so they can actually address all the possible outcomes and how they would react to certain things, you know, so that they at least address, you know, what what would happen like if... If birth doesn't go as planned, which can happen because birth is so unpredictable, we never know what's going to happen and, you know, what the baby's chosen for its journey as well because not all babies want to be born vaginally. You know, I've found that after tuning into many, many, many babies, they're on their own journey and they choose the outcome as well. So, you know, you've got to look at all eventualities and at least go there in your mind even if it's not what you want because if you're so against it that you don't even want to um, visit it, then that's usually what will happen. Usually, un it usually unfolds to meet that um, undesired outcome. Yeah. So at least if you address every single thing that could possibly happen, and talk to your partner about what you want to do in that instance, and write it all down, um, then at least you've you know gone through it in your mind. You've actually kind of debriefed with your higher self what you would do in such and such a circumstance. And then the good thing is then you can let it go. You know, it's a, it's a surrendering process. You can let that one go then because you've actually addressed it. And then it's not saying that's what you want. It's just saying that you now know, you know, you're agreeing on how you will handle it if it comes up. And then you can let it go simple and put it clearly on the wall because the other benefit of that is if it's up on the wall, you don't have to keep repeating yourself to every new person that looks after you. If they walk in and want to know your birth plan, you just point to the wall. You don't have to say anything. Just point. It's up on the wall and they can read it. And, um, and it's there to remind you as well what your plan is and your partner. I really urge people to have a good support person that's there, whether it's their partner or their mother or their um, a doula because there's a lot of women now that don't have partners available because they do, you know, fly in, fly out. 
and so they're not actually at the birth and because we're living so separate now from our families as well there's a lot of women that don't have any support when they go into labor so doulas are a really good option because that's a professional birth support person and they're usually women that have had their own babies so they know all about birth and they're so good at being there 100% for you and they're not bringing their own agenda or their own baggage into the room with with them they're there to support you yeah Yeah. oh and that reminds me that I wanted to say just about um, I've always had my family there (laughs) I'm very unusual in that my dad has actually been there at my births as well oh I've heard that before how does that how does that go how did that go well (laughs) it's interesting the way that worked because it was by default the first time because I was living in New Guinea when I had this pregnancy and birth so I flew back to Perth for the birth and like I had to fly back six weeks before the due date because of airline regulations and then my son decided to make an early appearance four and a half weeks early (laughs) so um, my husband at the time was still in New Guinea he wasn't flying back until two weeks before the due date So I went into labour and he wasn't back. So, you know, and it took him actually two days to get there because he had to wait on flights and everything. So, um, yeah, I kind of said, well, Dad, can you drive me into the hospital? (laughs) And so he drove us in. And because he was there, I just said, well, you may as well make yourself useful. And here's the camera. Take some photos. (laughs) (laughs) Most people would go, oh, my God, you had your dad there and taking photos. But, you know, he and I had this um, common thing. Like we were always into photography, you know, right through my childhood. I was really into photos and stuff. And so it was a common thing. And I just said, well, I wanted some photos of the birth. So, you know, make yourself useful and do that. And yeah it was really great and after the birth him and mum both cut the cord which was amazing so it was a real bonding experience and you know that son of mine has been always um very closely connected with my dad which is funny (laughs) and very similar he's like a mini granddad and um it was great because dad said you know back in his day like men were never allowed into the birthing space and so the fact that he could come in and witness my me giving birth was just so incredibly healing for him as well because he got to actually witness birth. It was a land birth, is that right? Well, in the shower. In the was, shower, yeah. To me yeah. it was a dry birth because right. after having two water births it was, you know, but she actually said she didn't want a water birth because she was amazing. She um, communicated with me the whole way through and she was actually quite demanding about what she wanted <laughs> Leading up to the birth, I had to make this naming um, necklace for her. I had to go out and find all these beads. They had to be rose quartz and unikite beads to make up this big strand of beads that I could use for her when she was born. And I had to have this Kuan Yin Buddha that had to go on it. And there had to be a certain thing. It had to have a lotus flower on the bottom with a moonstone set in it. And I was like, why on earth do you need that? <laughs> and where am I going to get that? And she told me exactly where to go, which which shop would have it. And so this particular crystal shop, I went in there and I said, look, this is going to sound strange. My baby wants this. And you probably haven't got it. And she goes, well, actually, I do. <laughs> she took me over and showed me this exact Buddha exactly as I saw it and it was incredible so I got it and put it on the necklace and and she wanted um, a dream catcher made up it had to have all these particular it had to be woven a certain way and had to have all these different beads woven into it and I had to have an eagle's feather which I thought where am I going to get an eagle's feather and a friend just happened to have one and gave it to me and then it needed a crow's feather in it as well. And I never, that was the missing piece. I didn't have that. And when I started labor, I kept on worrying about this crow's feather. And um, 
it was really interesting because the morning of labour, a crow landed on my roof at seven in the morning and started crowing and that's when my first contraction started. <laughs> and then I thought it was going to be a two-hour labour because every other one had halved themselves and so, yeah, it went right down and anyway, it ended up being a 12-hour labour. So um <laughs> wasn't happy with that one. So I thought I was in transition at um, some point in the morning and then but I went to sleep instead which is weird and when I woke up I just had this burning desire to go for a walk to the park over the road and when I went for a walk I found the crow's feather that I needed and I came home put it in the dream catcher and then my labor started again and then I had her very shortly after <laughs> oh my goodness that is amazing do you, have you told her oh of course you would have told her yeah she knows all yeah. this and what yeah. does she think like what does she say oh well she's very intuitive and psychic as well and that and she just yeah she knows all this and she loves it she thinks it's great that's funny i just think it's hilarious that she had all that planned out all those i know you had to do beforehand and, and she was very adamant about space clearing i had to have the house totally space cleared i had to have the windows clean the carpets clean oh, I had to do all the ceremony and ritual around space clearing everything and then she told me the day and the date that she would be born and it was right so the night before my other daughter and i put out a little peace offering <laughs> or no it's a welcome offering outside the front door with incense and flowers and all kinds of things to welcome her in because she told us that she'd be born the next day and it was the next day that yeah I had her <laughs> so wow. it was amazing oh, that's just intuitive birth at its best isn't it oh, I know yeah. it's just yeah. beautiful so yeah, yeah that was a beautiful experience but after having water births yeah I was not very well it wasn't as comfortable having a dry birth after two water births so it made it allowed me to see the difference between you know how effective water is for um, comfort measures in labor and giving birth it really and that takes away that whole worry of you know gravity because when you're in the water you don't have to worry about gravity and baby just births itself into the water and you don't have to catch it or anything you know it just kind of slides on out into yeah. the water yeah, whereas I was more concerned with her when I was in the shower you know, I was concerned that I couldn't reach her past my big belly and that I was worried that she would land on her head on the hard floor. But, you know, my midwife did a great job and <laughs> caught her and directed her up to me, which is lovely. Yeah. But it was a, yeah, lovely birth. Yeah, she had the biggest head as well, so I could have done with water. <laughs> uh, so, uh, do you want to spend a few minutes talking to us about soul birth and the offerings now that you can give back um, after those beautiful experiences. Yeah, sure. So Soul Birth was my business name that I created, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or more. Um, and it was my business that I started because I wanted to empower women and couples to have beautiful birth experiences, so much like the experiences that I've just shared with you. And from that vision I had when I gave birth to my daughter 23 years ago, so it just kind of evolved from that. But I wanted it to encapsulate not only physical birth, like birthing the baby, but it's also all about birthing the soul, you know, and birthing ourselves as mothers because um, that's a really important part of the birth process is that we're not just bringing new life into the world, but we're also birthing ourselves because we step up a notch into our awareness. Now, our intuition becomes really, um, you know, highly, um, what we call it, activated whatever you know we're very intuitive when we're pregnant um, and so and it begins a whole new journey it's actually a very spiritual journey the path of motherhood um, once we become parents you know guys as well also go through this journey of transformation where we're no longer living a life of 
selfishness. You know, we're not all about us anymore. We now have to consider this other being, this child that we've just brought into the world. We actually now have to um, also make space for them. And so it's a whole journey through, um, you know, what we've chosen. Because before we come in, before we incarnate or come in as a baby, we actually make soul choices. We choose our parents. We choose our um, circumstances to be born into. Um, and we also make soul contracts with other souls who are going to become our children when we are at that point. So, you know, we've made soul contracts with all these other souls before we even were born. So how amazing is that? Yeah. <laughs> and when we realize that too, we let go of having to be worried about um, so many things because, you know, if we're meant to have a certain experience in this lifetime, there's certain things that are predestined because our soul already made a contract to do so. So it allows you to completely surrender and allow that to happen. And so soul birth is based on that really. It's based on um, empowering women, couples around pregnancy and birth and also preconception. A big part of my um, thing is preconception care and, you know, having people get in um, connection with these souls before they even conceive them and doing the whole conscious conception um, thing where they actually invite the soul in so that it comes in in love. You know, and knowing that it's been invited in and it's loved and wanted and you can do so many ceremonies and rituals around that um, and it makes such a difference to how that child is in the world then because they know that they're loved unconditionally and wanted um, and so that creates imprints in the baby right from the early stage and so, you know, that has a huge bearing on, you know, the type of person they become and I've always been a big advocate for the slogan, you know, um, peace on earth begins at birth because that to me really is what it's all about. If we want to change the world, um, we need to look at birth um, and how, and even before birth, pre-birth, you know, all the stuff that happens in the womb. So soul birth is all about, you know, helping to um, raise awareness about those issues, about how we can actually um, create the blueprint for that baby's life um, even before they're born and then how we can support them through that birth process. So it's not only, um, you know, about the baby, it's about the mother and the father and the whole family unit and about um, who we actually are. It's reminding people who they are as physical beings and spiritual beings so that they can, um, you know, go forth in the world and do what they're here to do um, and knowing that there is a higher purpose for everything as well. It's really um, be mindful um, and being open to receiving and, um, yeah, just knowing that everything happens for a reason and that, um, that you know, we do also have control of our life. We can make choices and especially where birth is concerned, it's time for people to realise that they do actually have a choice in birth and that they can choose their caregivers, they can choose their birthing environment. Um, and then my whole aim is... Um, giving people the tools that they can use to create those spaces. So like I use essential oils, I use um, healing modalities, I use feng shui because I'm a feng shui consultant as well. So I actually help people create space, um, space clear, get rid of negative energies and then and how to put the imprint in a room as well. So teach them about, you know, clearing the energy from the birthing space so that they, they don't have any other negative energy affecting their birth because what I've learned from feng shui is that, you know, when people have a negative experience in the space, the, um, that space holds that impression. And if it's never cleared, it just builds up and the next person's impressions build up. And, <laughs> and 
from working in the hospital system and seeing how many hundreds of births or thousands of births have happened in one particular room, if we never clear those impressions from that room, then they're all going to affect the birth of the next woman that goes in there. So it's really important to space clear the birthing environment and then set your own intention in that space for what you want to bring forward and, you know, fill it up with white light and unconditional love and, you know, put your oils in there to actually bring in that beautiful vibration Use your music to lift the vibration. So it's all about raising vibrations and um, raising awareness. So that's basically what soul birth is. But it's all soul birth is also evolving all the time. So, you know, I'm doing a lot more work now around um, working with people to go inwards and remember who they are. So that's, yeah, a large part of my work is one-on-one consultations now with women and tuning into their unborn baby, either preconception or pre-birth or even after the birth, to tune in and actually heal the traumatic birth experience so that they don't take that experience through into the next birth and beyond because it can affect, you know, your um, work as a mother Mm. and how you see yourself in the world. You know, it has a huge bearing how your birth experience is. So I give them space to debrief and then we tune into their higher self and their baby's higher self and their spirit guides and actually find out why things unfolded the way they did. And usually in that one session, we completely transform their whole understanding of the birth experience and release it so they no longer need to carry it with them. If we want our children to grow up and become really, um, you know, well-balanced adults, we really need to look at that whole birth picture and what happens around that time, that whole pregnancy cycle. You know, it's really important, the work that women do, bringing new life into the world, and we have such an influence over the future of humanity So, you know, it's really great if we can get in there and educate them and empower them to, you know, put their energies into that and to putting positive impressions into the womb and into the baby. (laughs) How can people get in contact with you? Um, Well, I'm on Facebook. (laughs) I would lead you to my website. I do have my website, which is soulbirth.com. However, I haven't really done anything on there for a long time and it's very out of date because I've been transforming it. I am going to have a new website at some time in the near future. I feel like it's coming in with a new energy of next year (laughs) because everything happens in divine right timing. So I'm just gestating that one at the moment. But they can contact me either through Facebook or through, um, I do have my email address is faye at soulbirth.com.au. Um, or they can call me. Um, my phone number is on my Facebook page and my website if they wanted yeah. to call me. So best to go to your website and they can find your details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just my website is very out of date. So <laughs> Beautiful. Faye, thank you. I've just found so many dimensions in listening to you, the um, wonderful birth stories that I just... You know, I've just... Like, like I said, I've melted on the floor. Um, the tips from mid, from a midwife's perspective um, and then just that all important um, re, the, that recoding as a such I, I don't know what you could call it but I've talked to enough people about this um, this needing to clear the channels and needing mm. to heal ourselves um, and it's all making sense to me so thank you for mm. sharing all those aspects in your stories and I'm mm, sure people are going to find this very informative in thanks those, I hope aspects. so yeah yeah, I just wish for all women and all partners, you know, to have a beautiful um, birth experience and to, um, you know, really look forward to it instead of fearing it because it's an amazing transformation experience, you know, and it's something to 
look forward to. You're going to meet your baby. <laughs> it's like what's not to love about it and be excited about it, you know, no matter what type of birth they end up having and where it happens, you know, it's still a sacred event no matter where or when it happens. It's still sacred and it's still um, individual and unique and I just want people to embrace that and know that it's all perfect as it is. Beautifully said. Thank you for coming on the show. So much appreciated. So no full problem. of love too at the moment. No. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom of birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. We empower.